This town is a lonely town. What a match day this was. Not the only town. It's lights out and away we go. This town is a make you town. Or a break you town and bring you downtown. This town is a quiet town. Podcasting from Studio 2520. Somewhere near Akron, Ohio. This town via the Zencaster paid subscription. The campus of Otterbein University, Westerville, Ohio. This is tackling the chicane. Sinatra for the upcoming Vegas F1 race. Really looking forward to um, all that that will bring. I think it's going to be something pretty spectacular from what I understand. So. Oh, blue eyes. Yep, Frankie. And uh, what what song is that? It's called This Town. And it is about Las Vegas. Well, there you go. So, uh, already pretty excited for the Vegas GP. Yeah, and we'll... We'll kind of break that down in a bit, but uh, of note, everything will be held in the middle of the night. Yeah, so (laughs) for us East Coasters, uh, yeah, that one will start at one in the morning. (laughs) So uh, I don't know. Even practices and qualifyings are very late. Yeah, so. Yeah. Well, and I think it's mostly because they they have to, it's a night race, and it's kind of like Abu Dhabi, where you can't run when it's 110 degrees. Yeah. <laughs> ambient air temperature, so. The one thing that's interesting, though, which I didn't really think about, but uh, with Vegas, it's not quite like a, a Middle Eastern desert in the sense that it actually does get kind of chilly at night and they're projecting temperatures to be like pretty low actually since yeah. it's at night in Vegas. Yeah. So it's, this is going to be um, a, a premier, I guess we're just going to, I think they're trying to work it out the best they can, but um We'll see what happens because, as you as you mentioned, although I think that they've got qualifying and practice, and even the GP in the best window of temps, so to speak. So, um, yeah, I think they're just looking for that optimal um, ambient air temp and and maybe track temperature as well. But uh, also, you know. They want, you know, the grandiosis, the grandiose part of, you know, having the lights and stuff in the back. Yeah. Yeah. And also, you also consider time zones in the rest of the world. It's more uh, manageable for Europe and Asia than it would be if, let's say, it's a seven o'clock p.m. local time for them and then all of a sudden for 
all of Europe and Africa and whatnot, it's the middle of the night. So trying to optimize your viewership as well. Yeah. Well, we'll talk a little bit about uh, all that background info. Yeah. But uh, before we get into that, there was a race this past weekend, uh, race or perhaps demolition derby of, of sorts uh, in Sao Paulo. And then on the soccer side of things, we're diving into uh, Celtics' trip to the Highlands, where they took on Ross County over this past weekend, and a fiery and uh, somewhat uh, controversial uh, Premier League match between Arsenal and Newcastle United. So that is on the back half of the program, but uh, let's start in Brazil. Um, it uh, took not even before the lights went out for our first incident of the day to happen, if you want to give uh, some color on that. Yeah, so Leclerc um, out on the formation lap with a hydraulic failure. Um, we've seen this in the past a bit with some, some Ferrari issues, but not as of late. So, uh, quite unfortunate for the Ferrari team as he had qualified very strongly, uh, for this particular race, but yeah, um, just out early yeah it is weird to just it is just strange to see that happen where you know he's doing his formation lap which in theory is you know just get the tires a little warm and see the track one more time and all of a sudden he's flying into the wall yeah well these are machines and there will there will be failures mm-hmm. uh, unless it, it's the, the uh Red Bull 19. Correct. In which case, it seems to never fail. Correct. But there, there is a lot of, um, there's so many, so many things that can happen. And when, when they do in this particular case, I mean, we're all surprised as fans, but, um, these are machines and, you know, you, things are going to happen, unfortunately. I was quite surprised by that, but um, it did kind of open the gate for what I thought was one of the more entertaining races. Mm -hmm. Obviously, lap one was a complete melee. Yeah. Um, I have copious notes here that were scribbled very quickly, but Albon... Uh, K Mag. There were like three or four cars on that first lap that suffered. <laughs> yeah, I, the big collision. Uh... All right, so we've been dealing with some technical issues. So let's see what happens here on the restart of this race after. Uh, the, the melee that involved Albon, uh, Magnuson, uh, Piastri, Ricardo, amongst others. Uh, firstly, Verstappen gets away quite easily, uh, which uh, really the surprise of no one. But what I kind of noticed throughout the rest of the race, but with the restart, is the Mercedes both kind of just dropping like stones. Yeah, they're they're struggling right now. I don't know um, to what degree with the car, but you know Norris gave Max quite a run there for a few laps around 17, 18 laps in. Um, really, kind of was battling for P one, which you know that's <laughs> that's good to see. Mm -hmm. um after that it was mostly just f1 racing yeah <laughs> until uh we had a lot of retirements in this race i think we had five i want to say five cars that didn't end up finishing 
Mm-hmm. One of them being George Russell, who uh, just <laughs> shut it down. Uh, I think he, they said he was close to having some sort of failure if he kept running. So what they were seeing yeah. on the data, at least. Uh, both of the Alfa Romeos um, don't finish this race either. Yeah, out at lap um, 41, but, uh, almost at the same time. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, there clearly was <laughs> some mechanical issues with many of the teams during this particular race. But uh, after that, you know, Perez battled back to third late in the race. um, And then Alonzo takes that spot back from Perez, ultimately um, to finish uh, third on the podium. So, yeah, I mean, that was a really good battle. Uh, I think it's important not to just brush by that. Uh, it was a, a, probably a, the best battle we've seen on track this whole season, considering we've had very, very, very few for the lead. Uh, and this one was for the podium. Uh, it looked like after uh, Alonzo had made his kind of final move that he was kind of just going to, breeze to it the podium and then right at the end it looked like Perez might have over overtaken him but it was not to be and of note Sargent just out of the points in 11th but only probably because of the retirements yeah I think uh had everyone just ran this uh the way they should have he's probably looking at p20 but uh, I guess Take what you can get. Well, that that's how racing works. And I, yeah. he would have, I just, it would have been nice to see him get a point. Mm-hmm. Um, just kind of backing the U.S. driver. But I guess the only other thing I'll take away from this is kind of the apop- apocalyptic uh, weather conditions. If yeah. You saw those. During, I did. During the... Uh, qualifying effort i think um Mm -hmm. yeah just uh that was honestly almost nightly darkness yeah (laughs) first yeah that was rather impressive just from a meteorological uh perspective but uh it was a bit of a shame because i think there was a at least half a chance that uh norris would have taken pole away from verstappen had it ran under uh green flag conditions the entire time but uh i i don't think it would have really changed the outcome of this race all that much but it is at least something that could have been different from the weekend yeah and uh just a uh plus eight second differential between one and two which is better than you know 15 to 20 seconds so yeah Horace still um, strongly contending and of course Alonzo you know here's what's kind of interesting is we we have to kind of talk about maybe briefly the fact that the second place car and the third place car were nearly 35 seconds apart yeah um that's a pretty big gap <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, to say the least so i think you know norris and verstappen were kind of dialed in even though verstappen runs away with it but you know to be that have that kind of chasm between second and third is a little disheartening <laughs> Yeah, it is, but it's also, I mean, you have the chasm uh, from McLaren to another Red Bull, which I think is at least interesting or maybe kind of even good from a neutral perspective, although I don't really know what Perez Perez's future looks like anyways for that team. Uh, I think the big kind of 
headline, I guess, would just be uh, sort of a rebound weekend from Aston Martin, who have not really been that good for, uh, I don't know, a couple months at this point. Um, of course, Alonso in third, and then Stroll actually manages to land in fifth place in this race, which I, I, I don't know off the top of my head, but I think that's one of his best performances of the year in terms of placement. Yeah. And Aston has done uh, a really good job this year of just kind of being present. They've had their bad luck races, but um, they're still, I won't say a force, but they're, they, they, they're notable at least. And at this point, I mean, I don't see anything in the driver's standings to speak about unless you see anything. And even in constructors, you know, the closest race is between McLaren and, and Aston and it's a 21 point spread there. So I'll just kind of dip in here to the driver's standings to make sure that we're not missing anything. Um, Perez and Hamilton are, uh, do quick math here. Hamilton has 226 points. Perez has 258 points. So I don't know if Lewis can bridge that gap. Uh, 195 to 198 Norris versus, uh, Alonzo. So they're actually four, five, and six are, are fairly close within six points of each other. So that, that could shuffle a bit. I lost your audio again. Oh, I, oh, I was, I was, I was muted <laughs> like oh, sorry. an idiot. <laughs> I was just saying, uh, I think um, Norris will probably finish top of that little group of Alonzo and Sainz, and um, Lewis probably missed his opportunity to finish above Perez unless something kind of catastrophic happens in the next two races for Perez, uh, so there's that to consider. On the constructors' side, other than uh, Mercedes and Ferrari being a potential battle, I just wanted to mention uh, Haas are now in the cellar uh, for the standings, and I'm, I'm wondering if you think they'll move from that four points down from Alfa Romeo, nine to Alfa Tari. Uh, miracle? <laughs> Potentially, this is just kind of a bad luck Brian team. <laughs> and it's not because they're, they don't try. Yeah. And we've talked about this infinitum. Um, there's just so much disparity between a team like that and a Williams team versus a Ferrari and a McLaren, and even an, an uh, Aston Martin team. You know, I guess if they just, and they really haven't, they didn't have the destruction of cars that they had in previous seasons, but um, I don't know if they consider themselves successful just being there, potentially. I I'm not sure either. Uh, you do kind of wonder what their goal as a team is. Because. How can you sustain it? How can you sustain what it costs to run these teams in F1? I think right now F1 is just that lucrative to where once you're in, you, you can just sustain it by being a part of it. I mean, you're not going to be good. I mean, look, <laughs> look at them. Uh, but in terms of sustaining and running year to year, putting a car on the grid, they can do that. 
by just kind of being there. But once you want to start moving up the table in terms of constructors, it you're, you are going to have to start investing some serious coin, which I'm not so sure Haas will ever do. Right. And we'll see if there's any dilution of that money in the next two years because as we know there are other teams from the u.s who are trying to swimming position position themselves i guess yeah and f1 if they're smart they will allow another american team to be in the mix let's face it um they, they wouldn't be here in Texas and Miami. And now I guarantee you, and I have some information here that we'll talk about on the Vegas race. Um, you know, when you have three GPs in the U.S., you, you owe it to the United States fans to have at least one more, I think. One more team. Yeah. I, it, potentially. Yeah. I. We'll, we'll see. I think next year is going to have to be kind of a, a bigger year for F1 here stateside. After it does seem like they maybe lost a bit of momentum from last year. Of course, the championship not being competitive really in any way, shape, or form probably doesn't help. But we'll see. I think next year might be a, a better indicator of how competitive that the series actually is. Um, until then, we, we won't really know. But uh, it seems like you're ready to move on to uh, your your Vegas talk here, if I'm not mistaken. So Yeah, so this is a really big deal for F1 and for our presence as the United States in this series. Um, it's not the first time that F1 has dipped its toe in the Las Vegas waters. Um, the Caesars Palace Grand Prix ran four times from 1981 to 1984, and it was a very, um, I'm trying to think what the word I should use is it was a loose track that they laid out in the Caesars palace parking lot. Awesome. During that particular series, um, the first two years with F1 and then it was such a huge money loss that they dipped out. And then the, uh, back in the eighties, the cart series, indie cars ran, mm-hmm. um, there as well on that same course uh historically and, and there's a great article in one of my magazines here that i have um with me that kind of outlines that entire four-year series mm-hmm. and um it was not good <laughs> it was not good they basically threw a track down in the parking lot and threw up a, a couple of grandstands and the, uh, the drivers were not happy with the quality of the course. Um, but, uh, that was the last effort. So I guess 84 and 40 years ago, yeah. <laughs> sadly, um, <laughs> was the last time that uh, there were any types of these races in Las Vegas. Now, if we move to our current situation, um, basically this started, um, I guess, this past summer in Vegas. And if you think about the... What do I want to say? If you think about bringing a racing track into the confines of downtown Las Vegas and what that probably has done um, to punish anyone who's 
gone to Vegas in the last six months or so, um, I, I guarantee you that it was probably not a great time to be on the strip uh, yeah. as a tourist. <laughs> I'm sure. Because they're building uh, infrastructure. But yeah, Cruz uh, spent the summer repaving miles of the town's most, most traveled roads basically every road that you would take in and out of Vegas, including the strip, um, patience was challenged, I guess, with, with folks who had gone out there, um, to do their normal Vegas vacation. And as you can imagine, there was a lot of, um, probably, uh, delays in, being able to get from here to there so but i'm sure um this isn't really a half-assed effort on their part Mm -hmm. it's a 10-year commitment with f1 that is significant f1 F1 can dial anything back that they at any point but Mm -hmm. initially this is a 10-year commitment to race in vegas um it's a $560 million investment to put this race on annually, which I think is huge. Yeah. Um, it was $240 million that they spent on the paddock itself and, and the infrastructure that they need to, to bring these cars to Vegas. So, um, pretty interesting uh, monetarily but from what i understand this this is already already going to be one of the most attended races uh on the calendar and i think we're going to see upwards of 400,000 spectators mm-hmm. uh so I'm just, I'm looking forward to just, I think it's going to be a, obviously it's a street circuit, so it's going to be kind of difficult for the drivers to, to find their way. If that makes any sense, Um, there's going to be a lot of distraction. There's going to be, you know, I think visually on TV, this probably will be one of the best spectacles that we've seen. Yeah, I, I think so too. In terms of the setting, it's not going to get much better than Vegas. I do wonder how the actual racing is going to be. If you look at the track configuration, let's just say it's not the most technical uh, course you'll ever see in Formula One. Um, you, you don't really know how this is going to shake out until cars are on the track and the race is run and you can look back and see what happened and compare it to other races and whatnot. But I am, I'm probably not as high on it as you are in terms of what, what might happen. I, I, I'm just not sold on the on this yet, and maybe, ideally, the race is run, and I kind of eat my words there because I I do think in in theory a F1 race in Las Vegas is really cool, but I don't know. We will have to see. So, looking at the circuit and just the map, a lot of straights. Mm-hmm. A lot of straights and some kinked corners here and there, but I'm seeing a lot of runway, which is going to mean, you know, possibly record setting speeds. It's a long course at 6.2 kilometers. Um, we only have 50 laps to get this one done. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I'm, this is really the first time I've pulled up the actual 
track layout. Uh, this is going to be a drag race. Yeah, and that's what I was kind of saying. It's it's on by the looks of it, not a super interesting uh, layout, if that makes sense. So, well, unfortunately, what these long straights kind of give us is BRS uh, train ish racing. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if these the kinked corners that I see here will kind of circumvent that, but I guess we'll have to see. Yeah, that's pretty much all we can do at this point. (laughs) Still looking forward to it. I think it's going to be great to watch and hopefully, um, I just, what I don't want it to be is, I, and, and I don't think it will be, but, you know, some of these, some of these types of tracks end up being kind of the redheaded stepchild <laughs> of the series. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess that remains to be seen at this point. It does. It does. Well, uh, I guess one final thing before we move on. Are you planning on being awake when this one uh, sets off, or what are you going to do there? Um, probably going to watch the replay. Yeah. I, I can't imagine. Um, had the times up on my phone earlier, but it's it's all very late. Yeah, it's not going to be super optimal for the East Coast United States viewer or really any of South America and a significant portion of Western Europe. So, yeah. So, we'll, I'll check it out on uh, the F1 app as a replay, but I fully intend to watch as much coverage as I can just because. It's Vegas, baby. <laughs> it is indeed. It is indeed. All right. Well, with that, I think we will move on to some soccer talk here on the show. And as a sort of refresher, we are covering Ross County and Celtic match day 12 in the Scottish Premiership as well as a nice fiery match between Arsenal and Newcastle United down in England in the Premier League. Uh, why don't I briefly run through uh, the table in Scotland just to give everyone a uh, picture of where we are at. And um, first of all, Celtic have retained their lead and will do so unless they start losing quite a bit here uh, at the top of the table. After 12 matches played, they are on 32 points. In second, it is Rangers uh, with one match less played on 11. Um, They have 24 points. Third, still hanging around uh, with a game in hand on Celtic as well. Uh, St. Marin on 19 points, then 4th, Kilmarnock, uh, 16 points. Hearts and Dundee are both tied on 14. At the bottom, it is St. Johnston on 8 points, and then 2nd and bottom, Livingston uh, with more one more game played than St. Johnston uh, on 10 points, and they are tied on points with Ross County who are also on 10 points. So we'll get into this match uh, here right off the rip. Uh, kind of a interesting weather at the beginning. I don't know if you picked up on this, but just really uh, kind of foggy. Yeah, first note is just gorgeous. <laughs> just gorgeous in Ross County. You can hardly see um, across the pitch. Low-hanging fog. And then I also forgot that Ross County Stadium is 
a high school football field. <laughs> it is not the biggest uh, venue in the Scottish Premiership, that is for sure. Uh, but that with... kind of that lends to um, the quaintness of this series as well. So yeah. you can have a team like Celtic come into a place like Ross County, and there was quite a few really good camera shots of just young kids like nine-year-old kids right off the pitch yeah and yeah. uh but yeah i i when i turned it on i was like okay is this a smoke show did somebody <laughs> light off some fireworks or but no it was just pure weather no that's gonna be your scottish highland uh fog morning well i guess early afternoon fog this was a twelve thirty uh local time kickoff um, it was a very, very rotated squad for Celtic who had midweek action in the uh, UEFA Champions League against Atletico Madrid this past week. Uh, let's just say that could have gone better. Uh, they lost uh, by a score of six goals to zero to Atletico Madrid. Uh, so the European foray might not last too much longer um, unless they basically win their last two matches. But uh, what that meant for this particular match in Scotland was that R Ross County were facing, I, I don't want to say B team, but more of a, let's say, A minus team from Celtic. Um, so I, say I, I saw a lot of guys that I uh, didn't recognize. Yeah, and so. That's as a casual viewer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But even, I think you're probably not alone with, uh, a lot of people that tuned into this one. So instead of Kyogo at up top, it was, uh, Oh, and then on the left wing, instead of, uh, what we've been accustomed to is Luis Palma. We got, uh, Yang. And then in midfield, it was David Turnbull and, uh, Paulo, Bernardo, a uh, young Portuguese midfielder. And then Alistair Johnston was uh, given the day off, basically, for Anthony Ralston. And uh, your usual uh, back four besides that, uh, Joe Hart and goal, of course. So sort of the, I guess, the, uh, the context of this is Celtic still have yet to uh, lose in the league so far. Uh, so they're not necessarily perfect record, but their undefeated record uh, was intact heading into this one. And not, not really tested all that much. Um, Celtic maybe um, starting off a little bit slow, which we can get into, but also not really much threat from Ross County either. Well, uh, very slow <laughs> first half. Um, fifth minute, we had Yang to scales, no goal, uh, VAR. And I'm not sure if they were checking an offside there. Um, I believe that's what that was. Um, so scales actually the, puts the ball in the back of the net in this play, but uh, it is uh, actually they were uh, reviewing if he had fouled a Ross County player, Jordan White, in the buildup, which they deemed to have happened. However, um, the, the, the VAR check to make that call actually ended up taking quite a while. Right. Uh, fast forward, <laughs> as I did. Uh, eighth minute, we have a free kick. Uh, another VAR yellow card uh, to red for James Brown for Ross County. And I think that was the hard tackle to the ankle. Yes. Yes, it and was. The more, they, the more they showed it, the more that I looked away. Yeah. That... His foot was folded. That's what we would call a, a tackle that endangers the opponent, uh, which is usually uh, 
going to be pretty much textbook red card uh, in any match. And that one was... Um, once you got the second look with uh, VAR, it was quite obvious that... Uh, or he, the third he, yeah. and the fourth. And yeah. I, I just... I remember I shielded my... I, I don't like to see that kind of foot folding. Mm-hmm. That's just me personally. Uh, it just it just makes me... I, I just... It, I'm like, ugh. <laughs> Bones that had to have been a rolled ankle. Oh, could, yeah. I mean, there's no way that he didn't have super pain from that. Yeah, I mean, he did kind of wear it <laughs> like a champ, though, because he actually plays 81 minutes of this match. But yeah, so maybe it's more um, television than not. But yeah, perhaps they just kept playing it over, and I'm like, oh. That looked like it really hurt. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it didn't feel particularly grand for Yang. Kind of getting into the uh, teeth of the first half. Um, just Celtic not really, uh, didn't really have many uh, clear-cut chances uh, at goal, I think it's fair to say. Uh, to me, it felt like the the rotated squad didn't really gel all that well together, at least in the first half or for most of the first half. Um, it's just a little bit disjointed and kind of slow, some passes being missed, but I think that was to be expected with a team that hadn't really played much soccer together. Yeah, a lot of corner kicks that weren't capitalized on by Celtic on the, in the first half plenty of chances and just kind of mediocre yeah uh, reaction to those um, I want to say they had maybe four or five corners in the first half and couldn't just couldn't capitalize yeah yeah they finish um, I'm looking now uh, the first half they had eight corners so Nothing really came of it, obviously. Um, it wasn't... Uh, it, you didn't really feel like they were all that threatening, despite the fact that they had 21 shots in the first half, which is a kind of a ridiculous stat, actually. It just seemed like, you know, Ross County remained very scrappy on defense in the first half. Yeah. Um, finally... During stoppage time, we have uh, Turnbull. Yeah. Turnbull goal, and I was like, Jesus, thank you. <laughs> yeah, it actually was <laughs> a pretty impressive strike from David Turnbull, who kind of just pulls those out of his hat every now and then, uh, which it, he kind of had a, a knack for that. It was so late into the first half, actually, that I had already put my sort of summation note of the first half, which was disjointed first half from Celtic. And I was like, all right, that'll be kind of my my uh, cutoff for the first half. And then we had David Turnbull's strike from outside the box, kind of able to keep it on the ground, which was cool. Yeah, I do, I do think, though, that this Ross County team um, really played well defensively in the yeah. first half considering yeah all the chances that celtic had to score um, i really felt like they played defensively the best that they possibly could have yeah no i think that's fair as well just because you know their game plan was to kind of concede a, a actually a ton of possession in this one and um sort of soak in that pressure and honestly I think they do it well for pretty much all of this game until really late where the wheels sort of fall off a little bit uh, which is to be expected when you're trying to kind of I guess park the bus for an entire match um, I, I I think to your point you know in the second half 
Ross County's defense was so kind of stout that I didn't really have anything all that notable for like about 15 or 16 minutes of that second half until we get that triple change substitution for Celtic. Um, yeah, I, my notes were, as I was thinking through the match, um, you know, in the 53rd, Bernardo has a free kick, no goal. Uh, and then I was like, okay, where's Kyogo? Yeah. <laughs> but on, on the bench, on the pine. And then my, my note right after that was, you know, Celtic is kind of playing a bit sloppy. I, sloppy might may not be the right word, but mm-hmm. just not really connecting the ball. Yeah. Um, but Kyogo comes in late in this match mm-hmm. and creates opportunities, at least I believe. And in the 78th minute of this match, Palma floats just a really beautiful, sweet floater, bender, yeah, whatever you want to call it. Just a really nice goal. All of the above. Yeah, Luis Palma's kind of morphing into one of my favorite players on this team. Uh, we got him this summer and wasn't really sure how he's going to slot in. I think he's sort of playing the uh, the the Jota role, if you remember. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm sure you I do. Miss him. Yeah, exactly. I think he's sort of playing that role for the Celtic team. Uh, you know, good technical ability, has a knack an eye for goal can create uh, chances as well. And of course, I mean that, that goal was uh, pretty fantastic. Uh, and you kind of felt like that was the dagger there um, in this match. But uh, five minutes later, <laughs> James Forrest of all people who uh, it, by uh, football, professional football standards is getting into, uh, I would say over the hill territory but um, he comes on. Because uh, he's in his 40s? <laughs> well, he, he's not even 40, but <laughs> mid-30s, I believe. Um, but he has been with Celtic for 15 years, a one-club man. So it's Funny that you said that because I have a note here in the 83rd. Mm-hmm. And I have Palma to Forrest. Yep. Forrest had a header score you know bringing them up three nil uh and then underneath palma i underlined it and i said who is he james forrest no i hadn't seen palma oh okay yeah yeah the assist on the assist uh-huh i'm like oh who's this guy yeah he's really kind of slotting into the role nicely and i think putting a lot of Celtic fans on watch and maybe people outside of the club as well who might be sniffing around uh, come next summer. But uh, yeah, I think he's kind of been honestly one of the more exciting players for Celtic this year, which sometimes I feel like the teams lacked a little bit of that excitement uh, this season. Um, he, He is just a very dynamic player and I like what I see from him um and honestly you know being a a young gun as well I I really I really think he uh Celtic would do well to keep a hold of him for for quite a while yeah the only other note I have um finally Kyogo takes a late shot in the 94th nearly scores but yeah um, defended well yeah and so that was basically the it of this yeah it, it ended up being fairly routine for celtic at the end of the day i think ross county had a game plan that they stuck to pretty well um but um ultimately celtic were probably always looking to win that one and they do um, much, 
more of a test, I would say, coming up this weekend against Aberdeen at Celtic Park. Um, so we'll see what that brings. Again, I already said they were pretty handily beat in Europe, so uh, I'm not so sure what is in store for the rest of that Champions League campaign. But, um, yeah, we will just have to see. Final match here, uh, moving on to the Premier League. Uh, this was between um, Newcastle and Arsenal, who are two top-half squads in the Premier League. And this was a very well-contested match. Um, before we kind of get into it, just want to give you uh, a little a little bit of color in terms of the table. And first, it is now Man City, due to the fact that Ange Postacoglu and his Tottenham Hotspur uh, team just suffered their first defeat of the season on Monday against Chelsea. Uh, it was... So we talked about VAR quite a bit uh, last week on the show. This was the most unwatchable game I've ever watched because of VAR uh, between Spurs and Chelsea. Um, I There were 12 minutes added on in the first half, and most of that was because of VAR checks, if that gives you any indication. Well, I, I can guarantee you that the fans were not happy, and the commentators were probably oh my God. It's, unhappy. Yeah, they, they, I have never seen or heard, I guess, the commentary crew be so just blatantly uh, annoyed with VAR and pretty much just fed up with it, which I think a lot of people are starting to get to that point. Um, so maybe that's a, a topic for another time. Well, I'll, let me just say this. I'm not... I think VAR is necessary, but let's let's uh let's get our shit together fellas <laughs> yeah and i'm not sure why and i don't know if it's a european thing but the united states has they've got their playback in american football down to a science i mean we've got panels in new york that they throw it to them and it's rarely more than a minute maybe 30 seconds two minutes on a really hard play to figure out yeah but yeah um they they really need to uh and i'm not sure what the if they're throwing it back to people in a different place or or something but yeah um to have that kind of stoppage time because of VAR and and obviously the European football fans are 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 not happy. No, they're not. Uh, it's and, and this is a fairly new thing too, right? So what are we yeah. two two seasons in? Well, we're two seasons in in Scotland, but they were a little bit late to the to the party. Uh, the first big tournament that had VAR was the 2018 World Cup. Um, and then the Premier League implemented VAR in 2019, 2019-20 uh, season. So it, it it's not brand spanking new by any means, but yeah. hasn't had as much time to be bedded in, I guess, than like video review here in the States has. Um, regardless, uh, so Spurs are now one point behind Man City by no means, uh, out of anything, uh, just a bit of a hiccup there. Um, Liverpool sit third on 24 points. Arsenal sit fourth on 24 points as well. Uh, Aston Villa in fifth on 22 points. And then Newcastle, uh, sixth on 20 points at the bottom of the table. Sheffield United get their first win of the season. Uh, they oh, they ended up beating uh, Wolves 2-1. So they sit bottom still on four points. Burnley in 19th on four points. Bournemouth 
18th on six points, and then Luton Town uh, also uh, on six points, but uh, ahead of Bournemouth on goal difference in 17th. Uh, so let's get into this match, and I will just say it, it took probably... 30-ish minutes for the game to really fire up, but once it did, I mean, this was this was an, uh, a really well-contested, kind of just a very hot match, if that makes sense. Like, it's, the temperature in the place was was quite high. Well, I, I have only three notes in the first half, and Saka had an opportunity in the 20th and takes a shot, no goal. Um, and then 29th, uh, Wilson, who also takes a shot uh-huh. for Newcastle and no goal. Then plus four stoppage, half, kind of a, I don't know, mediocre first half unless, um, of course, I'm, my notes are off of the uh, ten minute wrap of this, so I might. Yeah, I, I think there. you probably just missed a little bit of context just from some of the challenges that were flying in. So uh, there were a lot of those uh, flying in, and uh, the two teams were definitely fired up. The venue was fired up uh, in the thirty seventh minute. Kai Havertz of Arsenal uh, just kind of recklessly puts himself into a challenge on Matt Longstaff. Um, Not quite as bad as it looks at the beginning, uh, but the studs are kind of high on his, uh, on his boots uh, in terms of where they end up hitting uh, Longstaff. Um, Both of them uh, come away with uh, yellow cards from that one due to some, uh, um, words that were said to the uh official that's where the the tempers definitely kind of flare up in this one and that and the atmosphere sort of rises up 45 uh plus two added on in the first half gabriel martinelli of arsenal is kind of released from a good ball cuts in on his right uh but the shot goes right to pope so there weren't a whole lot of obvious goal-scoring chances in the first half, but I think it's important to at least mention that uh, it it was a very um, well-contested first half um, in terms of there was just a, a great atmosphere and both teams were playing very, very hard. Um, going into the second half, uh, so Anthony Gordon is going to pop up a few times here for Newcastle, but the first sort of, uh, I guess, shot, a <laughs> warning shot, uh, it comes from Gordon in the 54th minute um, when Almiron, Miguel Almiron, releases him with a great ball. Uh, unfortunately, he kind of runs out of room, though. And then in the 64th minute of course we get our first and only goal of this contest so what'd you make of this one yeah so i have uh 62nd minute declan rice header was wide um before that alvaron to gordon no goal um so in the 64th Murphy misses wide and the ball still in play. And he, they, I don't know if it was, um, I don't know who intercepted the ball at that point, but was able to keep it in really close in the corner to keep the ball in play. Yeah. Which ultimately, um, Willick to Gordon off, uh, Joe, Joe Linton. Linton. Yeah. And then that was the goal. But yeah, it was, I, I replayed that a couple of times because for him to keep that ball in play was a really big deal. Yeah. Personally, that's one of, 
you know, going out and and taking a corner. It's one of those great hustle plays that every coach, regardless of sport, loves because it not only are you putting maximum effort into the match, but those are little things that, you know, can change the course of matches. So Joe Willick able to keep the ball in play off some good hustle, crosses it to uh, Joe Linton. And then Anthony Gordon, probably a little bit uh, fortunate in terms of how he's able to kind of just be on the end of a, uh, a bit of a, I don't know, just a bit of a circus going on. So we had a VAR there, and initially the commentators thought it was to make sure that the ball was still in play, but I think there was something else happening there. There was. So, yeah, you're right in saying the initial check was to see if the ball was in play. It was deemed to be uh, one of the great optical illusions of a soccer ball is that sometimes it appears to be over the line from one angle, but if you were to hover over it, you would you would see some of the ball actually being in play. Um, that was a big deal in the last edition of the World Cup. But uh, yeah, so the ball was deemed to still be in play. And then uh, where Arsenal end up feeling very aggrieved uh, from this match is they felt that Anthony Gordon actually fouled uh, an Arsenal defender uh, in the to get to the ball, basically. Um, I'm not so sure about that. that. The push, right? Yeah. Where they thought that he had pushed. Yeah, that's in, what it inside was. Inside the box. Yep. yep. I don't know yeah. what you make of that, but ugh, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I mean, it could, they could have called it either way. Yeah, I, I, I'm not so sure it it was it warranted the response that Arsenal gave it. To be honest, in in the post match and like the I guess the aftermath of this one, uh, Miguel or Mikel Arteta of Arsenal, the manager, spoke in the media about how upset he was with VAR, and I don't know. I I didn't think it was that that big of a deal honestly that push and uh made the game better anyways with that goal so uh maybe i'm not the best one to ask there but that was uh i don't know that that kind of spelled the end of the fight from arsenal who i think going forward in the season are going to need to show a lot more fight if they want to be serious title contenders uh, because it does seem like Arsenal, when things get kind of rough, aren't really inclined to try to pull themselves out of those situations. And I haven't really seen that yet this season from them. Um, and you don't really see it for the rest of this match either, honestly. Yeah, so uh, 1-0. Yeah, so that... That'll be, that'll be that in terms of uh, that, again, actually quite entertaining match, despite the maybe somewhat uh, small scoreline. Was, uh, was this a big deal for, for Newcastle to beat Arsenal? Or? I, would, I would say so. I mean, I think they're actually fairly evenly matched, although I would say Arsenal are probably the better team. Um, but yeah, I think it is a big deal for Newcastle, who kind of started the season off a little bit rocky, but in terms of their domestic form, have definitely kind of uh, righted the ship, um, and they'll be looking again for probably another top four finish if all goes well, although uh, Liverpool and Spurs are much better this year, so we might not see uh, Newcastle finished top four again. But yeah, generally speaking, I do think it was a pretty big deal for for Newcastle to get this win. Um, and that pretty much does it there. Um, yeah, I think that'll pretty much do us for tonight as well, I think. Um, 
Unless you no. want to um, lift the cup for uh, uh, yeah. Ryan Blaney. Yeah, so in NASCAR, Ryan Blaney uh, lifted the NASCAR Cup Series championship on Sunday. Uh, seemed like he was on a, to quote the Blues Brothers, a mission from God <laughs> throughout that entire race. I don't know. Did I, you catch any of this the race? But okay. um, you know the Blaney's have uh, tent poles here in the Northeast Ohio area, so they do good for that. Dave yeah. Blaney was a was, was a um, a legend in the uh, uh, what do they call it? Uh, Sprint Track Series, yeah, World of Outlaws outlaws yeah yeah it's it's kind of a big deal for folks around here so yeah i I think uh i i wasn't uh too mad about seeing blaney win uh the championship honestly i was just glad it wasn't any of the hendrick guys although i think the nascar purist is not gonna love that blaney won it because honestly he probably had one of the of the four, maybe the third best season, uh, honestly, uh, three wins in total compared to like William Byron had six wins and ran more well, consistently. And, well, NASCAR has, um, they've created this playoff series, yeah, um, on their own, yeah, they have. And it's it it probably hasn't created. I don't know if it really is a system that rewards the best driver uh, from year to year, but uh, it is the system that we have currently, and it rewarded Ryan Blaney last Sunday. So congrats to him. All right. Yeah, I think that'll that'll do us here. All right, so I guess uh, we'll get going. Indeed. This town is a lonely town. Not the only town. Gonzalo Montiel. Like this town this town for make you town exactly executive producers Richard Tanaka and bring you downtown and associate producers Rich Levingston And Colin Halsmill. This has been Tackling the Chicane. Copyright 2023. We'll see you next time.